ever sit in a hot tub that is lukewarm and <laughs> it's just it's it's bubbly Welcome back to another episode of Exposing Ourselves, another very special episode of Exposing Ourselves. I'm Travis Ritchie, and this is episode 30. This is the show where we expose each other to new things. Matt, a music fan, will assign me one of his favorite albums or playlists to listen to each week, and I, a movie buff, will give him one of my favorite films, and we come together on this very podcast to discuss it all, except this week it's neither of our favorite anythings, and with me as always is my good friend... Matt Runquist. Hey, Travis. This week, we both watched the movie Creed, and we listened to the Radiohead album, OK Computer. Yep, for the first time each. For the first for time ever, yeah. Yeah, that's exciting. So uh, before we get into that, uh, and this is just, you know, the format of our very special episode, right? So we're yeah. just, uh, every 10 episodes, we try something where uh, we assign a movie that I haven't seen and Matt assigns an album that he hasn't seen, yeah. but we think we're going to like. Yeah, this is, and this is the third time we've done this. And it really is just sort of casting, throwing caution to the wind and being like, this is probably good, I think. Yeah, no, no. I do think, I mean, I did choose a movie that, that I've heard good things about and that I've, uh, you know, been told is good. Well, so. and I chose an album which a lot of people consider the best album of the 90s, but which I there had you never go. heard. Really? Uh, yeah. That, that sh- without giving too much away, that shocks me. <laughs> 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 but before we get into any of that, Matt, how have you been? Oh, Bean? I have. How have you been, B? I have been very well. Thank you very much. <laughs> Uh, not uh, not too much excitement going on other than taping episodes out of order. So uh, sneak peek, everyone. <laughs> we put an episode in the can with our very first guest star, and you'll get to hear that next week. But this week, it's just a very special episode. And I, I uh, yeah, I've been practicing guitar and working and doing all my normal stuff. All right, just being an adult, that's nice. I had an interesting thing uh, the last uh, couple weeks, I guess. We at The Collaborative, which is my acting group, uh, have had this play reading group that we do where a couple uh, couple of days a month we'll get together and we'll just read a play, which is kind of nice. And then our president suggested to the uh, people that were running that group, uh, hey, could you choose one and make it a staged reading and do it as a fundraiser? And we did that. Uh, and it was, we, we, this last weekend is when we actually performed the staged reading. And I have no idea what to expect from a staged reading. What, what is that? Is that every, I mean, I've been to script readings where everybody's on stage in a chair or with a, or standing with a, with a, you know, music stand and they're just reading their scripts and that's okay. But uh, it's certainly not a, a fully staged um, performance where you actually have props and sound effects and lights and costumes and all that. So what we did was something very much in between, where we we had our scripts in hand, but it was acted out. So we had a stage with minimal um, chairs and a couple of tables here and there, and we just performed as much as we could about this play. And the play was called uh, Incendiary, and it's a uh, kind of a film noir comedy uh, about this 
about this detective who falls in love with a uh, a fire chief, uh, a female fire chief, but it turns out the female fire chief is an arsonist, uh, and she's been setting fires that she herself puts out. And uh, it's, I honestly reading through the script, I didn't love it, but performing it with the cast. And these people from the collaborative, it was an amazing experience. And we just did that this weekend. Uh, we had to add an extra performance, but we had three sold-out performances. I mean, they're free tickets. We, we couldn't charge anything. But uh, they were packed houses, which was really fun. And uh, heard really great things about it. So that was my big thing this weekend. And I got it. Sorry. I'm, I'm rambling. But there's one thing that happened yesterday on our closing night i was uh, leaving the house and i had been taking my uh, th- a couple of things with me i have my costume and my duffel bag with my shoes and my hat and stuff like that and then my backpack with my computer in it and uh and because i'm like oh i'll get there and i have some time and maybe i'll do some writing and work on uh, my my next book while i'm there Three days in a row, plus rehearsals, never once pulled out the laptop. So this time I'm like, okay, I'll just bring my backpack. And instead of putting my coffee and stuff in my backpack, I'll put it in my duffel bag. So I'll just bring my duffel bag and my costume. And I get there and my character doesn't show up until like half an hour into the play, maybe 20 minutes. And uh, so I'm just sitting there and everybody goes out on stage except me and my partner. And and everybody goes on stage. The play has started and I... And I go to like grab my script and realize that it has been in my backpack every day. And so I didn't have my script that we have on hand because we're not supposed to be off book. And uh, so I had to run around the front and grab the uh, the producer's script from her <laughs> uh, so that I could have it on, on hand. It was so embarrassing. I felt like a complete and colossal idiot. Uh, but it was still an adventure. You know, it's just one of those acting adventures, and, and now I have that memory and that story. Exactly. Uh, you know, it's funny. Speaking of firefighters, I've I've had this idea kicking around in the back of my head for, like, a little bit where it's, like, a picture like a bar, right? And a woman and a guy are talking. She's like, what do you do? And he's like, oh, I'm a reverse arsonist. And she says, what is a reverse arsonist? And he's like, well, you know how arsonists really love fire? Well, I really hate fire. So when they're, when I find out there's a fire going on, going on, I go and I put out the fire. And she's like, isn't that, isn't that just a firefighter? And he's like, you're not getting it. <laughs> that, there's something to that. There's something to that. And I think the, uh, the, the comedy comes when he sets out, he, he goes out and he puts out fires that people that are good fires. Yeah. Like, you know, he goes out and puts out campfires and he puts out, right. you know, yeah. bonfires on the beach and yeah. uh, stuff like that. Well, he just uh, really hates fire, you know? Yeah, sure. I get it. Yeah. I get it. I love fire. I grew up a little bit of a pyromaniac. My parents were always telling me to light the candles, light the furnace, light the house on fire. Uh, and uh, I did. I didn't <laughs> light the house on fire. I'm kidding. Um, and they never asked me to. Jerks. <laughs> <laughs> you just were not amused by that at all. Oh, man. Okay, okay, okay. Well, uh, let's get into the meat then, I guess. I guess let's get into the meat. Hey, uh, let's uh, switch things up a little and talk about uh-huh. the music first. If you would like, yeah. Yeah, let's sure. talk about the music first. Yeah, because I would like to end on a high note. Wow. 
Well, <laughs> in that case, we should definitely do the music second because Tom York is all about the high notes. But, uh-huh. all right, so I'm going to do an intro here, but I'm going to give a little more background than usual. Yeah, because, because I want to hear not only your intro, but also what you thought of it since this is your first well, uh, time through. Well, what I really want to get into for our listeners is why mm-hmm. I've never heard this album before. This is like Travis it's hard for me to explain to you like what a big deal this album was and hmm. how up my alley this sort of thing is I right yeah it's totally up your alley it's totally up my alley and um so in the 90s right uh, you know, I grew up listening. Uh, so in the 80s, I grew up listening to like very mainstream radio rock, Aerosmith, Bon Jovi, Whitesnake, like hair hair bands, but not like the metally hair bands, like rock and roll, right? Um, Ario Speedwagon was a really big one in my household. And then, you know, I, like many kids who were 14 in 1991, when Nirvana came along, it really changed my life. It changed the whole music industry um, and changed the type of music that people were listening to, changed fashion. I think, like, Nirvana ushered in the 90s, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that type of music, that, like, that that type of music basically wiped out a whole genre, like... You know, all those bands that I just mentioned, I think Aerosmith is the only one to have any actual hits in the 90s. Uh, and they they were kind of counter-programming to, to what was really going on. But all these bands popped up in the years following the release of Nevermind that were very much trying to, you know, do that same formula. It's like three or four guys in a, like a wheat field and they're all kind of grungy looking and they're in a wheat field. Yeah. Like, uh, I'm thinking of the cover of the Candlebox album, but like, you know, it's like, it's always like rural and very heavily overexposed and, um, uh, contrasty, like Anton Corbin, if you're familiar with that photographer. There's a very, there's like a very specific stylistic thing that I'm talking about here. Okay. And Radiohead had this huge, huge album called The Bends, uh, with its big song Creep, which I guarantee you've heard. Uh, yeah. Even, yeah. even, okay, and you know what it is, right? And yep. for whatever reason, Radiohead in that album didn't really do it for me. But in 1997, they released their follow-up to that. And this is five years after Nirvana had changed the world. And music was evolving like it does. And all of these things that sort of were, you know, alternative and different in 1992 were now very much part of the mainstream. And so when Radiohead released this album, it was like a big deal. But I... I was a sophomore in college, uh-huh. and I was too cool for school. Yes, I was going to say that's probably why. Yeah, I was. I was into like, I was into all these like tiny little labels out on the West Coast, and like Sub Pop yes. was like, you know, obviously Sub Pop was like the pinnacle. But you know, I was listening to like Pavement and Sebado, and uh, a little bit later Modest Mouse and Built to Spill and. Uh, and You're also, just saying words right now. <laughs> I know, but the 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 idea is that the audience gets this because I'm really doing this to apologize for having never heard this album before. Okay, so the point is, is all my friends got super duper into this album, and I, for whatever reason, 
did not. And I wasn't uh-huh. like I wasn't against it, right? Like I I didn't like hear the couple of Radiohead songs off of it and be like, "Oh, I hate this." But it just because it was so popular, I was like pushing against that. And I was like, eh, mm-hmm. they don't really do it for me. And so yeah, I never yeah. sat down and listened to this whole album. Obviously, I'd heard Paranoid Android before. I'd heard, um, uh, oh, got a Karma Police before. I'd heard a couple other songs off of here once or twice. Right. Okay. But I had never sat down and listened to the uh, entire album. And what's really interesting, and people who are Radiohead fans m- maybe will understand why I never went back and listened to this. Uh, I did hear the album after this, which was also highly acclaimed. It was called Kid A. And okay. I thought that album was terrible. Like oh. really, really bad. Um, it 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 was like this ambient mess that was not anywhere near as good as like actual ambient music. And I I, okay. I, I, I will go to my grave hating that album. But anyways, and so it it made me want to not go back and and listen to OK Computer. So point being. This album sold millions of copies. A lot of people consider this the best album of the 90s. Certainly people who are into like alternative rock music like this is this is the jam. It's got all kinds of uh, it's got weird sounds. It's got uh, very inventive um, song structures. It's got sort of epic songs. It's got quiet acoustic guitar things. Uh, It's got some ethereal, gorgeous melodies on it. Um, and so, it, like, it's got a lot to recommend it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't want to talk about how I felt about it first. I want you to talk. Okay. I want you to talk first about how you felt about it. Because, one, I, I, I think <sighs> I feel like you've given the game away a little bit. <laughs> But also, I know that you you're not a big fan of of vocalists who don't enunciate, and Tom York does not enunciate hardly at all, except when he does. Weirdly, yeah, and that's actually not my biggest uh, complaint about this album. I will say you are I can I can give you uh, affirmation on everything that you've said about uh, the the what this album does have its positive attributes. The thing is, is that. For you, those are positive attributes. Some of those same, uh, some of those same qualities for me, didn't work. And I, I, I know there is an audience for this album. Absolutely, it's just not me. And uh, I think my biggest, my biggest thing that I that I didn't like about it is that okay, so the it has some variety in it, right? And there are some songs that seem very well uh, orchestrated. You know, we've used that kind of phraseology before where we talk about a song that has it has been constructed very lovingly. But then there are other songs that feel improvised and feel like, hey, we've got four people who are pretty good on their instruments. Everybody play! And everybody's kind of fighting for their own uh, for their own attention and their own space in the song, and the drums don't really fit with the uh, the, the the guitar, and everything seems noisy to me. And uh, there are I, I'd say there's at least a third of those, and then there's a third of uh, the the, the well constructed ones, and then maybe another third of kind of in between, um, less special to me, but 
also not not offensively you know uh, sounding like as far as like hurting my ears to listen to uh but here is my biggest issue with this album is that it is so morose it is the 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 de- the depression feeling of it just effuses the entire every cell of this uh of this album and i think that that's a very that's something of its time right and i knew radiohead from creep and that's probably the only thing i knew radiohead from and the name you know it's just kind of in the zeitgeist so i knew of them but i've never listened to them before and uh i was a little i don't know how how to describe you know how you ever you ever sit in a hot tub that is lukewarm and <laughs> it's just it's it's bubbly but it's just disappointing and and it's a little depressing to sit in it yeah that's that was my emotional reaction to listening to this album lukewarm and, hot tub uh, <laughs> that, I mean, it's the closest thing. I, it's, the, it's the analogy that popped into my head. And so, I don't know. I, the, the guys, the, the, the lead singer, uh, and you've said his name a couple times, and I've already forgotten it. Tom York. Okay, Tom York. Um, he, 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 he just has that style where it's very depressing and very, uh, yeah. One other thing that I thought of as a, as a way to kind of like, put words into this and it came about when i was listening to the uh the spoken word song that mm-hmm. they have in here which yeah. is uh you, you fitter, remember which one fitter happier fitter happier yeah and so basically this song is basically a list of uh just things you know and it seems at once to be a critique of modern society uh maybe capitalism maybe um you know, I don't know. It it kind of doesn't seem to be super focused, except to be a a mindset of the youth of the time, the mid '90s, where it was it was kind of I don't know. It was maybe it was maybe the the thing of the time was like acknowledging that we are depressed and and as as kids as young people we don't feel like we fit in and we feel like we're feel, we're being pressured to be these things and we don't like that pressure and maybe that's what that's railing against but to me it just feels like a uh, a mindset that refuses the possibility of optimism right and yeah. and and where where happiness is or or where the pursuit of happiness is not is not an admirable thing. It's not real. It you know, it's not real to be happy. It's not, you know, that kind of thing is it, it feels like that's what they're railing against. And I and I and I kind of push back against that. I I like to be happy. I like to be optimistic. You know me. I'm a cheerful guy. I try to be anyway. I try to put that out into the world. And um I just didn't like that. I just didn't like that. You know, I think that's actually why you maybe didn't fit into your generation particularly well. Um, because I, I've spoken a lot uh, with friends, and I don't know if I've ever mentioned it on the podcast, but there is sort of a great tragedy of our generation in terms of, oh, yeah, I, I have talked about it once. Just the idea that we we were raised in so much irony and sarcasm that it became uh, a language to to us and that uh, authenticity or real emotion was seen as 
I don't know if I want to say weakness exactly, but it was seen as in inauthentic, right? Like the most authentic you can be is like emotionally closed off and ironic and or negative or negative right right and i think real positive emotion was seen seen as inauthentic yeah yeah real positive emotion was seen as inauthentic and thankfully the children have come along and and changed that about about society and about the world right uh and but those of us who you know were sort of steeped in that for 15 years really i, I like i had to make a conscious effort to stop interacting with the world in that way one because it was harming my personal relationships but two because it was harming myself right yeah uh it's it's very difficult to have uh a healthy relationship with the world when you're constantly at least pretending to be at odds with it all the time yes yes Um, well so yeah yeah well, you know, there, I think that that's something. I think you might be onto something. And and I was, I mean, lucky or unlucky enough that um, I had to do the opposite. I had to pretend to be happy as a defense mechanism mm-hmm. uh, because I was, you know, constantly teased. Uh, you know, I, I was, you know, I was born with Bell's palsy. And our listeners might not, but half my face is partially paralyzed, and that's a tough thing for a kid to grow up with. And it's a tough thing for me to have it as, a, as an adult, but. Um, my optimism and my, and my cheerfulness are in large part put on in order for me to um, to survive mm-hmm. uh, on a day-to-day basis. And so I'm doing the opposite mm-hmm. of what these musicians are doing yeah. in, order to, in order to just live uh, a life. And uh, I, one other thing I kind of like pegged when I was listening to this uh, for the second time through is that Back in the 90s, all that kids could do was be depressed and smoke weed, and that's all that we had. But kids nowadays, this is the euphoria generation where uh, suddenly it's uh, we also have sex and ecstasy. and you know. <laughs> So it's, uh, it's a different world today than, we, li- than yeah. we lived in back in the 90s. Uh, yeah, for sure, for sure. Well, I should probably talk a little bit about how I felt about this. Now. Yeah, please do. Um, I, I had such an ambivalent reaction to this, Travis. There was hmm. part of me that was like, you know what? I was absolutely right to not be into this. Like, it is, yeah, it's like, it's morose. It's hard to understand what any of it is about. Like, it's funny because he's very ethereal and weird, except when he's not. But then the lyrics that you can understand don't really make a ton of sense anyways. Um you know, they're definitely trying to say something. And it's funny, the, the the song that you picked up on, Fitter Happier, is probably the song where that is easiest to understand the point of it because you can understand the words. All right, of them. right, right. Yeah. yeah. Um, but well, one that, of the things I, oh. I, I, sorry to interrupt, but I pegged, you know, your, your not being able to understand the words. At one point, I compared it in my head to the Beatles and how some of their songs are are kind of nonsensical, like an octopus's garden or something like that. But then they have variety in their music. In an individual song, you'll have a variety of, of, of tone and measure and beat and whatever that I think that uh, Radiohead did not. 
Mm-hmm. Um, the, but go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I don't know. You. No, it's all right. But then, you know, so I but then I would go through periods where I'm like, man, some of this stuff is really compelling. You know, uh, certainly the, there are a bunch of hits uh, on here. Paranoid Android is unequivocally a hit. Uh, Carmel and I have Police. to appreciate the the reference, the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy reference. Right. Uh, um, exit Music for a Film was a hit. Uh, Karma Police was a hit. Uh, no Surprises was a hit. Um, there's and and justifiably, and there are several other songs on here that I really dug. Uh, and so I would I you know Travis I I'll be honest I still don't know what my rating for this is going to be because I go. Hmm. Back and forth on this between this really is genius. I totally get it. To man, they were just like throwing stuff at the wall and happened to hit on something that resonated with people, but they had no idea what they were doing. <laughs> oh, right. I mean, I feel like it's probably that they knew exactly what they were doing at the time, and uh, I feel like I understand why this was a hit mm-hmm. in 1997. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, um, but I wouldn't have been. I personally wouldn't have been the audience for it then either. So well, that, that's all. That's fair. That's fair. Um, I so yeah. I I just I have such a, a a hot and cold reaction to this. Like, and maybe it's just my my orneriness coming through and my desire <laughs> to be like I was right to not listen to this for twenty five years. You know, uh, maybe I'm just trying to justify myself. But I'm a little surprised that you're uh, you're that down on it. To be honest, I thought this was much more up your alley. No, it is. That's what I'm getting at, right? Like it is absolutely up my alley. But like the things that are annoying about it are super duper annoying. Like there's a lot of ah, ooh, ah, like yeah. And I just want I just I'm like consonants exist, man. They do. <laughs> like you're not French. Like consonants are real. You know. Yeah. Um, but man, some of it, like some of the, oh, the bass work, I mean, you know, I'm a bassist, uh, like I was in a ba- I was in a band in the, in the nineties and I was a bassist in that band and the bass on this is fantastic stuff. It's really, really good. Really like it, it, it glues all the music together, which is what okay. the best bass does. Right. Um, because the guitarist is all over the place. He's making weird noises. There's all kinds of crazy effects on the guitars. Uh, yeah. you know, there's very little in the way of like grooves on this album, uh, but, uh, you know, the reason that the guitarist is free to do that is because the bass is really holding it down for sure. Yeah, um, yeah. So there's times when I really, really love this and I have exactly the reaction to it that, that you expected me to have. So I think, you know, like overall, I do have a positive feeling about this album for sure, right? Okay. But um, but I, you're right, it is flawed and it is... I, I think it's a perfect artifact of that time, right? Where there's this sort of inner emotional conflict between, like, because because the other big mover of culture in the '90s was the idea of authenticity, and we talked a little bit about this with fun, and how mm-hmm. fun sort of was like the death of authenticity as a marker of goodness, right? Uh, hmm. You know, like with the open use of auto tune and the overproduced album and it's still being like crazy popular and embraced by people who 
are sort of hipster and like you know are always looking for the next big thing. Are you using are you using uh, kind of a like that negativity as a as a synonym for authenticity? Like can't authenticity can't can't you be authentically cheerful? No, right, not 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 in 1997. That's exactly what I'm saying. Like but also authenticity comes from like uh you know art like expressing your art, right? You're not corporate, you're not the man, right? And obviously this is a major label album, but like so in the 90s, we had this concept of selling out, right? The idea that there was some sort of authenticity from being like relatively unknown and doing things for the art of it. And then when you signed to a major label or when you, you know, used fancy studios or good equipment, you were somehow like not authentic anymore. And that that more is what I mean, rather than like the negativity per se. Right. Right. But, I get that. Yeah. But it just seems like it just seems like when uh, when people of 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 who who are into this kind of music and uh, and and this kind of like dourness when they say authentic they mean you can't they mean authentic means deep dark emotion. I think it, yeah you know deep dark emotion but also just like um, like sometimes it kind of just means bad, right? Like it just means, you know, like if something is too slick or too produced, then sure. You yeah. know, I mean, and that's another thing too. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So like anytime you have, but that's a separate thing. Like I get that. That's mm-hmm. the same reason I didn't like, uh, I didn't watch the first couple of, uh, you know, Ace Ventura movies because they were so popular. I assumed they must be awful. Mm-hmm. And I mean, they're kind of awful in retrospect, but <laughs> at the time, they weren't as bad as I expected them to be when I finally did watch them. That's fair. So. That's fair. We've spent a lot of time on this music, and I feel like yes. I feel like it's time to rate it. I want to hear your yes. rate. I want to hear your rating first. Uh, I'll give it a three. Uh, a it's three. I give it a, a yep, three. Yep. This is totally not my thing. It had about a third of uh, a third of things that I thought were well done, um, but the other two thirds were uh, were were straight up bad to me and um so yeah wow yeah. i i feel like that's unnecessarily harsh but um this is this is for me this is my rating no i know just I know. for me so if you uh, you know if listeners can identify with my tastes yeah that's a good barometer for how <laughs> they'll like this this album um i Okay, well, I have spiraled wildly this week. I've flipped. I've gone everywhere from 10 to, like, 6, I would say. Like, at one point, I was like, I'm going to give this a 6, right? I'm not going to give it a 6, uh, but I'm not going to give it a 10 either. And, I, you know, as much of a cop-out as it is, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to split the difference and give it an 8. So. Oof. What? An 8 is a very good score, and you have not been talking about this album like it is an 8, my friend. Uh, I stay with. Don't let me. Don't let me influence you. But like, I, th- I, I think I'll... you'll find when you listen back, there's quite a bit that I'm very positive about. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Viewers, you let us know if uh, if if you agree with that. He, that Matthew rated it the score that he should have, <laughs> based on what he said in the review. Uh, if you, by the way, if you'll notice that my voice quality has changed. Uh, I had in the middle of recording a, uh, a, a, a 
some sort of malfunction with my recording setup, and so now I am recording on a different microphone. Uh, I apologize for the uh, for the jarring nature of the audio. If it is, I don't know. I'm I have, I'm not listening to it until we're done recording, so hopefully it's still good. I apologize, but only if an apology is necessary. I'm not sure. I don't know. There you go. But I do. That's exactly it. So, uh, all right, great. Uh, an eight and a three. Um, well, let's move on to the uh, the the the. So, uh, part of my malfunction was that my entire computer shut down, and so I don't have all my notes. But uh, I had you watch Creed, which is the seventh movie in the Rocky franchise. And uh, it is uh, it was an interesting thing because I, growing up, watched Rocky. Well, first, a little about Creed. It was the first one not written by Sylvester Stallone, by the way. He wrote all the Rockies up through Rocky Balboa in 2006, I think it was. And then this was 2015, and it was directed by and written, uh, although he had a co-writer, by Ryan Coogler. So this is his second movie. And MGM Studios, after after a fairly successful initial movie, uh, independent movie, they gave him Rocky and were like, here, reboot the franchise. They had to convince Sylvester Stallone to come back on, uh, and uh, they wrote this movie about the son, the illegitimate son, of Apollo Creed, who decides he wants to get into boxing. And uh, the son is played by uh, Michael Michael B. Jordan, who uh, went on, who was in uh, Ryan Coogler's first movie, and continued to go on with Ryan Coogler to his next big project, which was Black Panther, which was a billion dollar uh, franchise movie. So uh, this was an interesting thing um, to see this as kind of the in-between uh, of his of his uh, process. And it also had, in addition to Sylvester uh, Stallone, it had Felicia Rashad, it had, um, I feel like I'm missing one other big person who was in this movie. Uh, do you know who I'm talking about? I don't actually. Those were the two big ones for me. Stallone, Felicia Rashad, Michael B. Jordan. That's three. But, yeah, okay. Yeah. I feel like there's, oh, 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 Tessa Thompson, who you wouldn't know, but uh, she plays the girlfriend, and uh, this was also her uh, earlier work, but she would go on to be, to play Valkyrie in the, uh, uh, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, uh, introduced in the movie Thor, Love and, uh, no, Thor Ragnarok. And then she was a big part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe since then. So, um, and she was great, man. I, so, I got to go back a little bit to talk about Rocky. And uh, I grew up with Rocky. Rocky was a, if you were a red-blooded American, you were watching Rocky. There was a movie where Rocky Four he went up against the Russians. And basically, Rocky was one of the the artistic representations of the Cold War in the 80s. And uh, so to be an American was to love Rocky Balboa. And so uh, they, they had four Rocky movies, and they were all pretty good. And then they had a fifth one, which was kind of maligned in 2000... Um, it was 99. Uh, 1999. Ni yeah. Sorry, ni 1990. Like, it was 1977 through 1990, and then there was that killed the franchise until 2006. Rocky Balboa. Oh yeah, yeah. really? Okay, so yeah. Not, yeah, because you're right, you're right. So and then uh, yeah, 2006 they did Rocky Balboa, 
and uh, it kind of was well received. Uh, it had uh, uh, Ven uh, Milo Ventimiglia as Rocky's son, and there was a whole father-son story there. And then that kind of was a good farewell to the Rocky franchise until this movie starts it up focusing on uh, Adonis Creed, who is the son of Apollo Creed. Now, I was never a huge fan of Rocky. I don't think I, I, I saw all of them, except maybe I don't know if I saw Rocky Balboa. Um, I have a vague memory of it, but I don't really remember it. So I don't have anything invested in this movie. It's just that I heard good things about it. So I was, it was on our list of movies that we could watch where we would both be exposed at the same time. And I gotta say, I really liked it. Uh, I thought that it, uh, I thought that it was a very well done movie. And it was funny because I don't even, I don't like sports movies generally. You know, if there aren't spaceships or aliens or dragons in it, uh, it's very low on my list of priorities to watch. And this movie had none of those things, surprisingly. And uh, also, uh, but also I liked it. So before I go more into my thoughts, I want to hear yours. Uh, I've been talking for too long. Yeah. So this movie, Travis, awakened something in me. Oh my I, goodness. I had... What? I had forgotten what a huge, huge fan of Rocky I was when I was a kid. Huh. Uh, your description of it is absolutely correct. And Rocky owned the 80s. You know, we, I, on an earlier episode, we talked about how Sylvester Stallone was the greatest action star. Or sorry, Arnold Schwarzenegger was the greatest action star of all time. But mm -hmm. Stallone, between Rambo and Rocky, that th that was his claim to maybe being close to to Schwarzenegger. Oh yeah, they were neck and neck for sure. And I loved Rocky. It's funny. I saw the original Rocky alone, which I have no idea how. Right? Because huh. well, because I was a latchkey kid in the eighties, right? Sure. But. Um, I, you know, I was, I found out that he had written it himself yep. in three days, you know, the classic, like the, the story that everybody tells about Rocky. And, However many days, I think I heard a couple weeks, but you heard three days. Yeah. Th uh, the, and, and I think Stallone's story about this has sort of changed over the years. Uh, but yeah, it was, it was, he wrote it very quickly and, um, I loved these movies. Absolutely mm -hmm. loved them. Um, I and so I had heard good things about Creed, and so when you said that um, that we were going to watch it, I was I was excited. I was like, oh yeah, cool. I I have been meaning to watch these, right? And I got to admit, it sucked me so far back in, and I. What was interesting is, is I watched this with my wife, as I do most of these movies, and she had never seen a Rocky film. And so I gave her... A single one. She'd never seen any of them. So I wow. gave her a quick summary, including the, the spoiler of the first Rocky movie, which is mm -hmm. that Rocky doesn't win. Um, right. And the way they structured this movie, taking a different character with a very different background from Rocky... And put him into basically the same plot in a yep. way that works was just a masterstroke because it it reflects the original story and comments yep. on the original story and 
the beats are all there. Uh, it it just what a what a beautiful beautiful piece of filmmaking this is. I yeah. was I will totally admit that I am in the tank for the Rocky franchise. I'm sure this movie is not as good as it felt to me, but this movie felt perfect to me. It has a it has a it's not without criticism, but I do agree it uh, the the theme the Rocky franchise as a whole has is full of themes of fathers and sons, right? It's 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 the 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 boxer and his trainer, it's uh it's the boxer and his son, it's it's all fathers and sons. And so this movie reflects that by both having uh Adonis not have a father. He, uh, Apollo Creed died before he was born, but also he latches on to uh, Rocky as kind of a father figure, and uh, and and that works very well. What the a fascinating! Acting... I, I gotta go into this. What a fascinating life story that they gave this character too, because he is simultaneously the child of a single mother who has a mother who loves him very very much whose mother died, whose mother is still alive, who came out of poverty, who was raised in a foster home, who was also raised in a mansion. Like, this character is such a ball of contradictions. And then to stick him in that Rocky story, that, like, underdog versus the champ, uh, you know, Philadelphia boxers are the best thing. Uh, What a, like, what a genius idea. Like, yeah. kudos yeah. to Ryan Coogler, because I'm sure that Stallone, when this was brought to him originally, was like, what is this crap, right? No, and he's then, like, no, and I'm not going to do... Right, and then yeah. he, I'm sure he read the script and was like, this is this is it, right? Like, this yeah. is this is the key to, to opening it up and restarting the legacy and restarting the franchise. And uh, it really just, wow, man, wow. Yeah. There are a couple of uh, specifically amazing things about this uh, about this movie. First off, uh, the acting is uh, on every level wonderful. I love uh, I love Felicia Rashad who comes in in the first oh, scene and yeah. is and is the mm. the best version of herself. I, I I've jumped. always loved her. I jumped when I saw her. Yeah, and uh, I don't remember if she was in uh, if she was actually seen as. Um, as anybody in the previous movies? I don't um, think so, but, I mean, it's funny, right? Like, she popped on... Apollo Creed's wife in, like, part uh, two or something? I don't, I don't think so, but it has been okay. a lot of years since I've seen it. But Yeah, I, I didn't have a chance she to is, check, but... Uh, she is, in fact, a vampire, right? I mean, we... we <laughs> she ag- looks great. We acknowledge the fact that she looks exactly the same as she did on Cosby, right? Like, that's... Well, no, but yes, yeah, she looks amazing, absolutely, for her age. And, uh, but, um, but also... Also, you've uh, the other female lead, uh, Tessa Thompson. I it took me a while to kind of recognize where she was, but she looks like uh, she actually reminds me a lot of the eldest daughter from the Cosby Show. Uh, do you remember who that was? Oh God, um, I do, and now I can't remember it. The yeah, I can't remember her uh, name. She also and, started. Uh, oh, Lisa Bonet. Lisa Bonet. Yeah, she reminds me a lot of that uh, in, in look and uh, kind of attitude, and um, but she was so real and. And Sylvester Sylvester Stallone's performance was genuine and heartfelt and interesting, and you you 
you you really believed every emotion that went across his face, and uh, there, it wasn't too much, it wasn't too little, it was just yeah. right. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, Michael B. Jordan, who just owns the film yeah. and carries it. Oh. Uh, yeah, because he's the one who's gotta who's gotta embody these contradictions, right? And right. wow, does and he, he do? Does. It. Yeah, yeah, he does the same thing actually in Black Panther very well. Which uh, is kind of interesting. Now that I'm seeing, uh, you know, this performance and kind of putting it into context, the Black Panther character is a, a very interesting one. Um, I may have you watch that someday, just to just to make you watch it. Um, but and maybe you'll be into it now that you know that Ryan Coogler from this, who directed and wrote this movie, also did Black Panther. So uh, they brought him. I mean, you can do that if you want. I have seen the first ten minutes of Black Panther. Okay. All right. Great. Well, uh, that's not the whole movie, my friend. Um, so there, this also, I want to talk about the uh, uh, the filmmaking of this movie. They, you wonder at the beginning of it how they're going to make boxing any more interesting than they ever have before. And what they do is in the middle of the movie, the first kind of big fight, they give you a one take, two round boxing match. And the camera is in the ring, floating in between the boxers, around them, and how it gets all that, like the choreography of that. I, I, I did read that they did 13 takes of that, uh, of that boxing match and ended up using like take 11. But it's, it, it's a, it was a really extraordinary piece of filmmaking as well as... Uh, everything else yeah i've mentioned on the podcast before that i don't ordinarily notice oneers but that one is so so theatrical and so in your face you have to notice it and i i want to say i appreciated that that was that fight Right. I was a little concerned that they were going to be like, and then for the final fight, we're going to do that again. And they didn't. Right. They instead went yep. to a much more traditionally shot Rocky style fight, which is like a regular boxing match, but with about 400 times more punches. Right. Right. Yeah. 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 And uh, as far as the ending goes, I also liked that they because um, I'm, I'm watching it going, OK, this is so clearly parallel. Mm -hmm. the first Rocky movie yeah. you can't have him win the fight his, right. you can't have him win his first worldwide match yeah. against the the champion of the world right. right and and how they got him in that ring by the way with that guy was pretty well I, I was I was pretty yeah. down with that whole plot contrivance yeah and um, but also you don't want him to lose because then you're just copying the first movie yeah and it didn't occur to me actually that the way to fix that was punish your character, but have him stay on his feet for all twelve rounds of the of the yeah. match, yeah. and end up end up losing by like technicality. Split. I guess. It's a split decision, actually. Split. Oh, okay. What does that, that mean? You know, uh, it means two of the judges uh, had the one guy winning, and one guy had the other guy winning. Oh, okay. So, so there are an odd number of judges, and so there are um, an odd number okay. of judges. Got it. Yeah. Got it. Got it. So, uh, but that was actually really nice because it gives him somewhere to go and it gives him, but it also like gives him a victory. It was a really good like mix of, uh, of outcomes that, that, that felt very satisfying to me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah. So, uh, do you have any critiques? Because I got a couple. Oh, yeah. I understood what they were doing with the video game introductions to the enemy fighters, but I mm -hmm. decided I didn't like it. I gave it, a, I gave it a chance, but I decided it was too intrusive and, uh, and I didn't like it. Yeah, that's kind of a mid-2010s thing to do uh, in well, film, and I think. Well, I think they, and it's a long movie, and they didn't want to go through the work of ginning up a bunch of exposition for guys that were fundamentally yep. video game characters. And so they were yep. just like, hey, look, here's the video game card. And I get yep. it. I just didn't yep. like it. Yeah, I get I get what you're saying too. I didn't mind it so much, uh, but uh, I, I I understand why it was off off putting. For me, I don't think they ever fully explained why he wants to box. Like, sure, they show him in a in a in a um, uh, a career where he you know because of his affluence that he go that he gets kind of found into. Um, the main character, uh, Adonis, manages to land in a company and he gets a promotion and he's going to have an office and an assistant and all that, but he gives it all up to be a boxer. And I don't think they ever fully explained what drove him to do that. It, oh, I think know. it was to, to make a connection with his father, who he had never known. I th I thought that was pretty straightforward actually he he was always watching his father's fights in the gorgeous home theater film room that uh that felicia rashad had conveniently in their house and he you know both of his parents were dead and he you know he's heard all of these things you know in the world of rocky apollo creed is the greatest boxer that ever lived right He's he's considered to be better than Rocky, right? Right. Um, yeah. One of the you know in in this world, one of the reasons that Rocky beat Apollo Creed eventually is because Apollo got old, right? It's not that right. it's not that Rocky was objectively a better boxer than Apollo, right? Sure. Um, and so, uh, you know, Adonis wants to. He wants that connection with his father. He's heard all of these things about his father and what a warrior he was and how he was the greatest boxer that ever lived. And he doesn't want to work for a financial services firm, you know, taking rich people's money. He wants he wants to feel alive and connected to his father. Like that to me is that's you said the story, you know, this the the franchise is about fathers and sons, and his motivation is about his father. I get that objectively, I, I, I and even thematically. I just didn't quite think they got there, or maybe they got there at the end. But I wasn't really thinking, and because I did, uh, that Rocky does have some moments where he kind of nails home the theme mm -hmm. of like, you know, you're you're not him. You don't have to. You don't have anything to prove to him. Um, but I think that it took a while for me to understand mm -hmm. as a viewer maybe more than halfway through the movie. I'm like, why are you doing this again? <laughs> um, so, uh, but the, but uh, uh, that's, a, that's kind of a nitpick. It doesn't really matter. My only other nitpick is the movie felt long, but I don't know that I would have cut anything because mm -hmm. I, I appreciated every part of it. Um, and I like that they had, I like that they gave him the love interest. I think she was an important character. She was more than just yeah. uh, arm candy. She had yeah. her own 
like uh, her own uh, you know impetus to yeah. uh, to remember to live life and remember my read on Rise of the Planet of the Apes where there was like the love interest and she yes. literally had nothing to do for the entire movie. Yes. It was like what is like it was like somebody was checking off the love interest box. This was not yes. that. She was her own person. My wife pointed out it was really cool how she very much had like an ambivalent relationship towards his boxing. Like she was like worried about him but also supportive and at ringside and, and there was never like a you can't box, uh, you know, I love you too much or anything. Like there wasn't that moment. It was just like she was uh, you know how a real person would would deal with that, which is like, well, I don't love this, but clearly it's your thing, and I don't yeah. want to take your thing away from you. So, you know, right. it's yeah, yep. it's really it was really good. I, man, I, I really can't say enough good things about this movie. And I, I, I like I said, I it may just be that like this triggered eight year old me to to like come out of his shell and be like, man, I freaking love Rocky. You know, that's great. I think that's fantastic. I, I, I you know what? I and I agree. There's I agree. One, I, I will be watching Creed two and three. If you yeah, want, yeah, we can save them for future uh, uh, special uh, episodes. Honestly, I, I, well, here's, I don't know if there's any upside in that, right? Because either, either there are episodes like this where we're both like, it was amazing. Yeah, that's true. Or it that's was true. like, that's well, true. I was super disappointed because this sucked. Um, but I will say, <laughs> unrelated to the movie itself, I bought the movie instead of renting it, which uh, I don't know why. I just thought that would be a good idea. And so I bought it on Amazon and I have no special features where if I had spent almost the same amount of money to buy it on iTunes, I would have all these great special DVD features, uh, extra features, which I don't have now. So I'm a little, I was, I was, after the movie was done, I really wanted to go in and see about the making of this movie and, you know, see about Michael B. Jordan's you should check transformation. You, see if any of it's on YouTube. Might be. Probably they will be. Yeah. Um, the, okay. So one other thing that I wanted to call out specifically is a big part of the Rocky movies has always been the slower contemplative moments, right? Like mm -hmm. these movies are never just about the highly intense arena action scenes. They're always right. about that contrasted with like the loneliness and intensity of training and those like uh, – interactions with people that are very like intense and emotional and one-on-one. -on -one. And I mm -hmm. loved that this movie included those things and gave time for those. Uh, yeah. Because yeah. that is what makes it a Rocky movie is that it's not just wall to wall action, you know? Right. Um, yeah. I also loved the fact that there were three big fights and there were three training montages. I counted. Yes. Yeah. No, it was good. It was structured structured very well uh, from a from a three act structure point of view. Uh, I I will say I don't know that I needed Rocky to get cancer. Um, oh man, I was in tears. Yes, that whole no man. I'm gonna defend this movie till I die. Rocky gets okay. Rocky gets cancer, and then like Michael B. Jordan threatens not to do the fight if. If Rock refuses to fight, he's, I fight, you fight. Oh, God, I was in tears, man. I was in tears. I okay, fight. Okay, okay. I fight, you fight. Oh, God, that was good. That, no, that was, that's a good, that's a good moment. I, I, I don't know that they needed it, and it probably, for me, it added a little time that I thought could have been cut from the runtime. 
but but yeah, I, I didn't hate it. I didn't hate that at all. It just guys maybe didn't need it. He's just upset because he can't watch the movie twelve times in twenty four hours now because it's just over two hours. So he can only watch it eleven times in twenty four hours. Is that all it is? Yeah, how long? It, how long did it end up being? Is I, it? I, I thought it was just, movie? I, I think it's just two oh four or something. I'm not wow, sure. Wow, it felt like two and a half hours to me, but uh, okay, two was hours. Was it really that long? Time. I don't. I, I don't know. It felt little... like it. Now I'm gonna look it. It just up. felt like a long movie. I'm gonna look again. It up. My computer's uh, down, so I can't check. Two, but... I'm checking. It's two hours and thirteen minutes, but I think that includes credits. So it does include credits, probably. Yeah. So yeah, two hundred five. All right. Well, uh, I mean, what do you rate it? I Go give ahead. it. A, I, it's it's a ten, and we're all, we're all almost right. out of time, so it's a ten. Very good. Yeah, I'm gonna go a nine uh, for me because it's a uh, it's it's not it it. it just because of the themes and stuff that I am not normally into, uh, it's not normally my cup of tea. But I loved it. I thought it was a, I thought it was a really great movie. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Um, all right. Well, what do you got for me next week? <laughs> I'm laughing, which, of course, which because let's, uh, okay, we can we can yeah, yeah we can I, admit to the audience I'm we've already laughing. recorded next we've week's already episode. recorded next week's episode. But next week, Travis, you're going to listen to the magnetic fields. The magnetic fields are the brainchild of DC-based singer-songwriter Stephen Merritt. They released an amazing triple album called 69 Love Songs, which is exactly what it sounds like on the label. Three discs, 23 tracks per album, every single one of them about some aspect of love. I, I made a playlist for you of my favorite you chose a select few I, a select few I think it's 50, okay I think it's 15 songs uh, for you to listen to Good. what did you give all me? right excellent well we are finally going to have Matt listen or watch uh, the horror movie classic John Carpenter's The Thing <gasps> and uh, from 1982 and not only is Matt going to watch uh, The Thing and I'm also going to rewatch it again I've seen it a dozen times probably but uh, we are going to have a special guest on <gasps> to uh, help us talk about it. And uh, you will meet her uh, next week. But I'm excited for you to finally be exposed to this classic. Oh, oh. You're, expi- you're excited to expose me to the thing? I am. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I am indeed. Uh, and hey, if uh, any of you have uh, uh, agreements or disagreements about the way we rate our movies each week, or if you want to tell us what you think about next week's movies, uh, email us at exposingourselvespodcast at gmail.com or find us on the Facebook page at Exposing Ourselves. And uh, Matt... Yes. Thank you for exposing yourself to me. Well, Travis, thank you for exposing yourself to me. I will see you next it. week. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.